to Luther's world of cryptids, ghosts, and the unexplained. If you're into strange things that fly above us in the skies, or creepy things that go bump in the night, then you have come to the right place. Much like cryptid creatures or folklore tales, they all have a home here, and so do you in Luther's world. Welcome, come in, sit down, relax, enjoy chapter number eight. I never thought it would happen to be real stories told by the people who experienced the events. Our first tale takes us to California to a returning guest, Frankie Kazarian, as he's going to tell us all about his grandmother. Hello, I am Frankie Kazarian, professional wrestler for All Elite Wrestling. Uh, and this particular story happened, um, again, probably when I was um, about 19 years old. I remember this because I was training to get big, to get into professional wrestling, trying to get size, and I was in my room, I was still living at home, and uh, I was in my room, and I was doing crunches, and I was watching wrestling, and um, just uh, doing my crunches, and I have wrestling on, and um, all of a sudden the channel changes to ABC7 News, and I, I'm the only one in the room, I'm like, that's odd, so I take my remote and I change it back and I'm doing crunches and again it changes back to Channel 7 News. I was like, what? Like, I, is, is, it, is the station messing up? I don't know. Um, so then I continued doing my crunches and um, up on my wall I had one of those clocks that looked like Felix the Cat and the tail and the eyes did this and this when it, when it ticked because I always wanted one of those clocks because I thought they were cool for some reason. I wanted one of those damn clocks, so my grandmother had, uh, had, had bought me one of those clocks for like a Christmas present or a birthday present, and uh, she, my grandma June, she had passed away maybe, you know, two years prior to this. So anyway, so I'm doing crunches after this, the, the television thing where I kept switching to ABC 7 News. I'm doing crunches. That clock, by the way, was up on my wall. I kept it there, um, hadn't worked for six months because I was, I, uh, not only was I <clears throat> too lazy to put batteries in it, but it didn't, I took the batteries out and just put the clock up on the wall because I couldn't, I couldn't find the right batteries at the time. So anyways, I'm doing my crunches and I look up and the clock is working. No batteries in the clock. And I kind of sit up and look and I put two and two together. My grandmother bought me that clock. She watched ABC7 News all the time. And uh, I got this sense of, I, right there I was like, wow, wait a minute. ABC News, Grandma June, that clock, that's working with no batteries in it, by the way. No batteries in it. And I got, I got this weird sense of, calm like I know there's other stories and instances where you get like people get real spooked or real feel cold I had this real like just blanket of like peace and love and like just like she was there just to say hello it's me it's Grandma June um, I, I don't know how else 
I don't know why it went to that station. I don't know why that clock was working with no batteries other than, and I've gone over this a million times in my head, that's, I, I, I honestly think that she visited me to say hello. A clock running with no batteries in it? The TV channel always on her channel. She was definitely there and definitely watching out for you. We're going to have a little theme here. First, we were in California in the west. Now we're going to head out east. We're going to go to New Jersey to be exact. But this time, we're going to hear about a grandfather as we go hear the tale from Royal Money. How's you doing, everybody? My name is Royal Money. I'm an independent professional wrestler from Camden, New Jersey, by the way of the world-famous Monster Factory. Um, just a quick story I wanted to tell. Um, I have a 15-year-old daughter. She was born in 2005. And I have my grandfather's an important figure in my life. And um, it was no way that these two could meet. Um, so around the time my daughter was like, I want to say probably like three years old, uh, she would be playing in her room with her mom. And uh, she would just be having like the time of her life. And it was just like, she always wanted to play in the room. So one day she was like just giggling so much that her mom went upstairs to go check on her. And she was like, what are you doing? Um, and she was like, I'm playing with Papa Percy. My grandfather's name was Percy. And like I said, he passed away in 2002. And my daughter was born in 2005, a couple of years later. But uh, my grandfather would visit my daughter like very, very often. And she would always play with him. So fast forward to when she was like, I want to say five, I brought her to church with me for the first time. And uh, she went in the office and she seen the picture of my grandfather and she knew instantly who he was. At this point, I've never showed her a picture of him. Uh, nothing. Uh, and it's just like, it had to be him visiting her and her, you know, she had to see it. She had to, she had to. And it's just times where like, uh, I would be around and I would just like smell his cologne just in the wind. And it's like, maybe he's around, but I never seen the image, but my daughter did and uh, I just feel like that's an amazing thing because my grandfather was an amazing man and uh, I really wish she could have met him but obviously she she did so um, it's real it's <laughs> super super real <laughs> the fact that your daughter knew so much about him or that she even had conversations with him I totally believe all that and I believe that he was there you know it's amazing thinking that deceased loved ones come back to us or leave us little presents or little knickknacks or let us know that they were there that they're looking out for us it's comforting and you know it happens more than you think if you like the show don't forget to subscribe like follow tell your friends about the show Maybe they have a story, because next up is stories from you, sent in by you, read by my guests. It's The Paper Trail. It's time for The Paper Trail, letter sent in by you, the viewers. This one is from Jordana. One night, I was over at my mom's. There was a Shriner's Temple around the corner and down the street a few minutes from her house. I'm hanging out in the kitchen when all of a sudden I hear this guy at the top of his lungs. Help! Somebody help me! He sounded terrified 
and in pain. I got to the said temple as fast as I could. There was no one there. No guy. No one else around. No evidence in the parking lot that anyone had been there. Just nothing. It never happened before, and it hasn't happened since. To this day, I have no idea what went on over there. And I think I never will. Jordana. Well, first off, who knows what happened? That could have been somebody outside yelling. That could have been someone in a lot of pain or being robbed maybe, or it could have been an entity. It could have been really anything. So this I would label as the unexplained for sure. Um, but one thing I will say is good on you for hearing that and running out to help. That a lot of people don't do that. So good job for that and thanks for writing. Uh, I'm Victor French and I was in the Royal Canadian Navy and uh, in about 1963-64 we were sailing off the Nicobar Islands uh, and going into the Indian Ocean and uh, the four o'clock watch come on in the morning and uh, the lookouts observe some activity in the atmosphere that was not uh, traveling at speeds because it was on the horizon we had a huge a vast view and it was moving across the horizon and it was traveling on like an arc and when you went up to the fire control like when you're on the ground you can see about 40 miles but when you're 80, 80 feet up in a mast your your horizon extends and we were looking out from the fire control position and it made a huge arc and just went to nothing it, at an incredible rate of speed and that's that's what happened that morning did it have a certain shape to it or any lights or it, to us it was just a dog light because it was it was just the thing that it, the thing that attracted us was uh, the lookouts was the speed that it was traveling at because up to then like our fire control system and our radar system uh, aircraft didn't go more than a thousand miles an hour and uh, this was traveling at a very high rate of speed but it came in like an arc it came from the horizon and arced around and and uh, just vanished. In, in a continuous line or did it make any sharp 
It wasn't movements. a sharp turn, it was like an arc. It's like a big arc. And it just, when we picked it up, but uh, it didn't show on radar or anything like that. Of course, our that would have been traveling. First of all, it was so far away. And, uh, you know, secondly, our fire control system was only designed in those days for about 900 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, our maximum range for combating that or taking, uh, if you were being attacked, uh, like our contact range was probably about 40 miles. Was there any defensive measures no. put on by the boats? It was just still observation at that point? It was just, a, yeah, it was a visual observation with the guys up in the, because they were talking about it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they were saying, gee, you should see that, you know. And at that time of the morning, there was not very many people mm. up and, you know, I happened to be on that watch and I just went up and was observing him. Like we had very, very, very good uh, binoculars. Mm. Uh, you know, we can go to a thousand power with no problem at all. Mm. Just with a flat, just changing lenses. It was like being in a, you know, you'd spot something on the horizon sometime and you could click the binoculars and it would just zoom it in. Mm -hmm. So you knew, uh, you know, you knew who was coming at you. Right. What was the general impression of the people who did witness it? Were you guys also in um, agreement that it was maybe something like unidentified as, as far really, as? Really, we didn't talk about it very much. No? And no, because, um, uh, you know, most people would think you were a little bit wacky. Right. <laughs> so you there, there was no reports or anything or documentation filed from the from the observance. It was just Not amongst the I'm people that were there. Of, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't even. Uh, I I don't even know whether the officer of the watch was aware. Hmm. It was just something that was amongst the men, and uh, but you. If you went in and said to somebody, I've seen a flying saucer, they'd probably look at you like, oh, yeah. Right. You know, what have you been drinking? Right. <laughs> what's What's your final impression of what you think you saw? Uh, well, uh, I, I've always been a believer in in UFOs and, and that sort of activity. Uh, I just uh, think that there's thousands and thousands of years of documentation of, of contact mm. and uh, you, either people believe or they don't believe mm. you know and I, I you know after some of the incidences that happened uh, probably one of the most significant in incidents that happened was in Montreal in about 1965, where there was hundreds of reports from reporters, from professional photographers, 
and it happened at the Bonavista, uh, Bonavista Hotel in uh, Montreal and it happened to be a police convention so there was many 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 very sophisticated people had seen this thing that hovered over them for quite some time mm -hmm. and there's photographs and there was they called it a mother craft mm -hmm. and it was like a huge triangle and it hovered over montreal and it was seen by thousands of people and um, you just can't say that these things don't exist mm -hmm. awesome you, you know there's unfortunately in the 60s and in the, in the if you were an aircraft if, if you were working for a commercial airline and you went in and said well I had a flying saucer that followed me halfway across the Pacific Ocean they'd probably lock them up in a nut house mm. <laughs> so people weren't as uh, as ready to come forward and say well I seen this or I seen mm. that because they would See a little bit strange. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your story. You're welcome. What's up, guys? This is Colin Fuginella here reading one of Luther's stories. Hi. So my story is my father died when I was five years old. And in my old house, before he died, he would isolate himself in my bedroom. After he died, I went back to my bedroom and made it my own again. I rearranged everything and made it whatever little girl would want in her room. Life went on until we got this dog. He was a puppy. Everything was fine until the anniversary of my father's death. It was the 24 to 48 hours of the anniversary of his death. My dog would stare and bark at the wall where my father's bed used to be. Reminder, he wasn't alive at the same time as my father, but whenever we would move him, he would bite and scratch us. He was never violent before. The dog wouldn't eat, sleep, or go outside, or play, or nothing. At the end of the day, he would go back to his normal life. So, yes, that's the encounter I had. Thank you. Rachel. If you have a story that you want to share on the show, film yourself telling your tale or write it out in full detail and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com and we'll use it on a future chapter. This is Powerhouse Hobbs of AEW. You're tuning into Luther's World, Cryptids, Ghosts, and Unexplained. Let's go overseas to visit Alex Clark. Strange things are afoot in the UK. Hello, Dr. Luther, and hello to all of you out there. I am Occultari, your purveyor of paranormal in the UK. Now, I'm here to give you two slightly shorter stories this week that also do not revolve around me being in a pub. So maybe they are slightly more credible. I'll leave that up to you to interpret. Um, the first one comes from when I was a very young child, about one years old, um, from the uh, city of Derby. Now, Derby is my hometown. It is also listed as potentially the most haunted city in the UK. It's quite a small city for the UK. I think it's one of the smallest and one of technically uh, the newest when it be when it was officially became a city. It was a town, I think, when I uh, first grew up. 
But uh, yeah, it is a maybe that's why I'm into the paranormal because I'm from Derby. I don't know. But originally, my mum and father we uh, moved into a flat in Derby, probably in not the most salubrious area at that point, and uh, it was a part furnished flat from what I was told. And so there was some ornaments and furniture already in the flat. And there was one ornament specifically that was a sort of four or five inch statue of a porcelain cat. Odd thing to have, but there it was on the mantelpiece. It was ugly, they didn't like it, um, it got put away. They couldn't throw it away because technically it was the landlord's, so it just got moved. Now, once it was moved, the next morning, it found its way back to its original spot on the mantelpiece. My dad thought this was, you know, rather strange, but passed it off as, you know, oh, well, I must have moved it or, you know, somebody moved it. It'll be fine. So moved it again. And the next day it ended up back on the mantelpiece. Uh, at this point, my mum started to get involved and realised something was strange about this and moved it. And it also ended up back on the mantelpiece. This, I believe, caused some friction between my mother and father. Uh, and in the end, my father decided to put the porcelain statue um, in my cot while I was asleep. Why he decided that was a good idea, I don't know. But, as you can imagine, in the morning, the statue ended up back on the mantelpiece. At this point in time, my mum freaked out dragged me out of the cot, grabbed all of our clothes, ran out of the flat, uh, never to return. I believe we moved in with my grandparents for a week uh, while my dad sorted moving everything out of that flat again. Uh, <laughs> what happened? What was moving that? I do not know. But something most certainly wanted that statue back on the mantelpiece. Now, my second story uh, also comes from my life. And something I'm interested for you guys, if you've ever experienced missing time seems to be quite a common phenomenon um mostly quite explainable a lot of the time but every now and again there are cases that you think mm, and maybe i have one myself now we were driving back from lincolnshire now lincolnshire is a county known for well being flat and there not being a lot of anything there it's mostly farmland um my grandmother lived out in the countryside at that point, uh, and we were driving back, probably half seven, eight o'clock at night, somewhere around that. Um, it was about an hour to get home at that point, and we'd done this drive a lot. We drove the same way every time. Um, so you've sort of got landmarks plotted in your head where, where you've been, and both of us remember getting to a certain set of traffic lights uh, somewhere in on the Nottinghamshire Lincolnshire border and then we don't remember anything for the next quite a while until another set of traffic lights in another town i remember waking up and looking around thinking i don't really recognize where we are and then realized my mum was doing the same until she went where are we now this was before smartphones so we didn't know where we were we had to drive through the town in which we found out we were in the tiny town on the outskirts of Nottingham called Gedling. Neither of us had ever been to Gedling before. Um, we had barely any idea where it really was either. Um, this was strange, and it was about 20 miles southwest 
of where we were supposed to be. So it was quite out of the way. And once we figured out where we were going and got ourselves back on track, we sort of traced back our steps and, yeah, remembered getting to a certain set of traffic lights and then remembering waking up in Gedling. Um, we have no idea what happened in that set of time whatsoever. Neither of us can remember a thing. And it seems we lost 45, 50 minutes worth of time. Uh, I wondered if anybody else out there had had a similar experience. I don't know what happened, whether, yeah, we were both sleep driving or we ended up in a parallel universe or I have crossed into another universe, which I'm in now and don't and don't realise I've crossed over. Or were we abducted by aliens? Uh, not a clue, but it was a very, very strange event and it still freaks my mum out to this day. But yeah, please let us know if you've got anything like that. Um, but of course, strange things are afoot here in the UK. Cryptids of the world. This chapter we're going to take a look at the Michigan Dogman. The Michigan Dogman is a cryptid described as having a human-like body with the head of a dog or a wolf. It can walk upright on two legs or down on four and it is also said to be very large and muscular. The Dogman is often referred to as the Michigan Dogman because most sightings have occurred within that state. But Dogman has been reported in many states such as Minnesota, Texas, like in Chapter 2 by Lance Archer, um, even out as far as New York. The Dogman became more popular in 1987 when a disc jockey recorded a song about the creature and its reported sightings. Um, and it became a hit where he started selling cassettes of the song and since then it has just grown legs and become very popular. The first known reports of the Dogman became in 1887 when two lumberjacks uh, reported seeing the creature and said they saw what looked like a man with a dog's head. In 1938 in Paris, Michigan, a man was attacked by a group of dogs, five or six dogs, but he stated that one of the dogs walked upright on two legs the whole time. In 1961, uh, a night watchman was out on his patrol. He saw what looked like a man but with dog-like features. He was thinking of shooting, he took out his gun, he was going to shoot the, the creature, but then remembered he had a camera, so he took a picture of it instead. According to many reports, the, the Dogman is much more aggressive than that of its counterpart, the Sasquatch. In 20, 2004, uh, a boy riding in a minivan took a photo known as the Onaway photo. Um, as he and his parents were driving, the boy took a, snapped a photo of a dogman right by their vehicle, which I will have up probably right now.
many people that um, many people believe the famed cryptid dubbed the the Beast of Bray Road. The Beast of Bray Road, they think, is a dogman. And there are many, many books and movies made about this creature. Many people believe um, that the dogman has been around for thousands of years. This is due to the Egypt Egyptian tales and hieroglyphics of the god of the underworld, Anubis, who had the body of a, of a man and the head of a dog. Um, is the dog man dangerous? Not to the people that came back to report their sightings. Um, to the unfortunate people that don't make it back that you never hear of, I would say maybe yes. This chapter's The Storytellers. We once again welcome back Brian Ward, the owner of the Roswell UFO Spacewalk in Roswell, New Mexico. Hey everybody, Brian Ward here, your fearless leader at the Roswell UFO Spacewalk, where we are at the center of space and time. Got another uh, fascinating UFO story for you. Uh, this is from the year 2007. Uh, then I had about five acres uh, just north of town here in Roswell, uh, maybe 10 minutes uh, outside of town, just enough to be all by yourself. And uh, for nighttime viewing, start gazing. It was awesome. And uh, one day I was out there and I was just taking care of the property, you know, uh, had the riding mower out there getting taking care of some weeds and uh, I happened to look up and this is a daytime sighting and I see this black sphere look like to me it looked like a military uh, weather balloon that they sell at the army surplus here. That maybe it's one of the kids science experiments from the local high school got away it was just kind of you know floating through the air. And, uh, and I, I'm judging it to be maybe about 30 feet, 40 feet across, you know, completely black, uh, no shine at all. That's why I kind of thought it was black rubber because it wasn't giving off any shine. And I'm, uh, and I'm noticing uh, the high grass on my property is blowing in one direction and uh, this black sphere is going in the other direction. It's kind of got like erratic movements where it's, it wasn't a straight line, but it was definitely going the other direction. So it's got my attention. So I get off and I'm looking at it and it appears to be to where it's going down uh, just on the other side of the road into the, the field that's across the street from me. And I got some visual aids for us today. So first one I have is a, a map of, uh, of the lay of the land here. Here's Roswell, right? And uh, here's Corona. And the crash happened somewhere in between Roswell and Corona. We're not sure exactly where, but it's in this area right here. There used to be a sign right here that showed you how to get out there. They took that sign down. And here's the El Capitan Mountain Range. And here's the property from which I viewed all this from. So just, you're out in the backyard. And I'm here's me, that handsome devil right there. And I'm watching this thing uh, I'm thinking it's going to go down into the field across the street. So I'm looking at it and uh, I'm still thinking it's a weather balloon. And as it continues to go down, it's headed more towards El Capitan. And then I see as it's going down towards El Capitan, it's going down behind the mountain. I thought it was going to go down in the field right here. The road's right in front. I'm thinking it's just going to go down in the field and I'll see what it is. But as it's going down, it's going down behind El Capitan. I'm thinking, what am I seeing? How big is this thing? It's as big almost as the mountain. 
And once again, there's no you know noise or anything. It was weird. It was completely black. And as it was going down it, behind the mountain, it kind of got transparent looking. So I don't know what I'm looking at. Is it dissolving? Is it going into the mountain? The thing's huge. So anyway, that's just sort of some of the weird stuff that happens out here. Weird stuff still happens in Roswell all the time. And uh, I'm gonna go back out there and see, maybe do a stakeout, maybe get some footage. You know, it's, it's wide open out here, so there's plenty of places to go and see things like that. But anyway, it's just a little story from Roswell here. This, like I said, this happened in 2007, I believe. Uh, uh, but anyway, there's other weird stories of things that happened out that way. That whole area between uh, Roswell and Corona, I don't know what's going on with El Capitano. All these things are energy or magnets for weirdness, supernatural, UFOs. So uh, anyway, there's future reports to be done, but uh, that's it for today. And we're going to hand it back to Dr. Luther. Next up is the devil himself, Drexel. This is defining the unknown. Greetings and salutations. I'm Drexel, King of Northwest Hardcore, and a walking, talking freak show of pro wrestling. And I'm defining the unknown right here on Luther's World. So today's word of the day is clairvoyance. See, clairvoyance comes from two French words, the first being clair, which means clear, and then voyeur, which is to see. Clairvoyance is defined as the faculty or the ability of perceiving things or events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact, and a clairvoyant is a person with the ability to gain information about an object, a person, a location, or a physical event through extrasensory perception. See, clairvoyancy, you can break it down into three different classes. First, there's precognition. See, a precognition is the ability to perceive or predict future events. Uh, and then there's retrocognition. That's the ability to see past events and like you're actually there, but you weren't really there. And then the third is remote viewing, and that's the perception of contemporary events, something happening right now, um, but you're able to experience it outside the normal range of normal perception. See, clairvoyancy dates all the way back to the beginning of written word, and in fact, if you look at most religions, there was clairvoyance everywhere. Everyone from saints to prophets to oracles all had that ability. But it wasn't actually until 1884 that we, we started trying to test clairvoyancy, and it was Charles Rickett. He, he ran some of the first experiments where he, he would put playing cards inside uh, in envelopes, and then he would put the subjects under hypnosis, and they would attempt to identify the card. See, what Charles did wrong is you got to hook him up to electrodes, just like Bill Murray did. If he would have been shocking those people, I totally bet they would have gotten all the cards right, just like Ghostbusters. That's a cool movie. If you find yourself up in Alaska and you need a place to stay, as well as maybe get creeped out, this chapter's Haunted Hotel. We stay at the Anchorage Hotel in Anchorage, Alaska. Staying at the Anchorage Hotel will run you about $130 to $170 per night. The hotel was built in 1916 and there are ghosts that routinely show up within the hotel. So many so that the staff have a book that they log in all the sightings. One is that of a little boy. 
um, the little boy is said to have been the son of the first owner of the hotel. His name was Frank Reed. The second uh, is that of a former police chief of Anchorage. In the Prohibition era, it said he was onto some bootleggers and he ended up having a confrontation with them in the alley next to the hotel where during this confrontation he ended up getting shot in the back with his own gun. He was soon dragged back into the hotel but he shortly died of, a, of his injuries. Um, it's said that he makes frequent um, appearances within the hotel. The third is that of a bride. This bride was left at the altar and she soon took her own life by hanging herself from within one of the rooms while still in her wedding dress. It's said that she is tall and thin silhouette and she will randomly appear in the hallways and mirrors throughout the hotel. Um, there have been reports of a young girl also seen just walking on the second floor in the hallways. Also on the second floor, sinks and bathtubs will just turn on and off and start running on their own. It's known that most sightings occur in the rooms 202, 205, 215, and 217. So if you stay in one of these rooms, there's a very, very good chance you'll see pictures flying right off the wall. Thank you to my guests, Frankie Kazarian and Royal Money. To my readers, Donnie, Kung Fu Janella, and to Brennan French for interviewing his dad, Vic, about his encounter. To our storyteller, Brian Ward, thanks to Big Powerhouse Hobbs for stopping by and saying hi. To Alex Clark and Drexel, don't forget to subscribe, like, or follow tell your friends all about the show. Let's make this grow. Thank you to you for being you. Let the chaos run strong and stay creepy.